as the popular video gamer Tim the Tapman would say to start his YouTube videos, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's Jared Feinberg going solo here for today's episode. Devin could not join us today, but he will be back for the next episode of the podcast. We got plenty to talk about today. Stuff like DeAndre Hopkins, the Patriots, the Carolina Panthers, Kyle Trask, some of the stuff we'll be talking about today. But first, I want to remind y'all about something. There's a global pandemic going on. Here in the United States, cases are surging everywhere. I mean, cases are increasing daily everywhere, literally. There's not a place in this country where cases aren't decre- are decreasing. Everywhere it's going up. Lockdowns are starting to go back in place, you know, for a few weeks in order to try to contain this virus, trying to slow the spread, the surge of this virus. We're having over 100 cases a day. 100, no, not 100 cases a day, 100,000 cases a day, which is mind-blowing and which sucks because, you know, people want to go back to living the lives they used to used to have before the start of this pandemic. And one of the more key or one of the more effective things to prevent or slow the spread of the virus, of this COVID-19 virus or the coronavirus, is masks. Those little cloth things that we wear every day when we go out. They work. They're useful. They help protect people, you, myself, and others. If you care about people, which I hope you do, please wear a mask wherever you go. Everyone needs to wear a mask, please, because I don't want to live in this type of life for the next four to five years. I want this thing to be gone soon, and we can slow the spread of the virus together by just wearing a mask, please. It's not political. It's not. It shouldn't be. But for some people, it is. And it's ridiculous. So this is about science. This is about people's health. My health. Your health. Other people's health. Your family's health. Your mom's health. Your dad's health. Your sister's health. Your brother's health. Your grandparents' health. Your friends' health. If you truly care about people and you decide to go out and about someplace, please wear a mask. Please, to protect yourself and others, to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Please, that's all I'm asking. That's all I wanted to say to start this thing out. Now, let's get back to football. I want to talk about something that was probably one of the more insane things I've seen this year. In the year 2020, we've seen some crazy things. This was insane. Last play of the game. Well, no, it wasn't really the last play of the game. Next to last play of the game, I guess. Kyler Murray drops drops back to pass. Everyone's going deep. One of the guy, I think Larry Fitzgerald or someone else. They're running a crosser. 
Hopkins is running down the field towards the end zone. Another guy is doing the same thing. Murray's pressured, I think, from Mario Addison, if I can remember correctly. Murray scrambles to his left and just heaves it up while on the move, moving to his left, fading away to his left. He just launches it towards the end zone. Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins in the end zone with three very good football players. Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Pryor. Those four going up for the football. You'd think that, okay, well, you have three very good players against a very good player in DeAndre Hopkins going for a jump ball. You'd think, oh, the Bills are going to knock this thing down. The Cardinals are only going to have one shot towards the end zone after that. Well, let's just say DeAndre Hopkins is the best wide receiver in football, and he caught the damn thing for a touchdown. And the Cardinals win the game. A Hail Mary to end what turns out to be probably one of the best games of the year. DeAndre Hopkins went full Megatron and grabbed that thing out of the hands. Out of, off, I guess, four hands? Yeah, no, six hands. Combining of Jordan Pryor. Micah Hyde, Tredavious White, he snagged it out of their hands, comes down with it, Cardinals win. In a miracle. I mean, this was probably one of the more great plays I've seen in quite some time. That that was incredible. The ending was incredible. Hopkins broke Twitter. He did. And I just want to say... It seems like anytime a great play happens, it happens to be at State Farm Stadium in in Scottsdale, Arizona. I think that's the name of the town. I could be wrong. But we've had so many good plays, some historic plays, happen at that stadium. Had the David Tyree catch. Against the Giants wide receiver David Tyree. The helmet catch against the New England Patriots. The 18-0 New England Patriots. To set up a game-winning touchdown pass from Eli Manning to Plexico Burris. To win the Super Bowl. And upset the 18-0 New England Patriots. In 2007-2008. This is just off the top of my head. I'm trying to think. What what other good plays happened in the- in that stadium, you had oh yeah, you had Jermaine Curse, his hot potato catch at the end of Super Bowl Forty Nine, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is David Tyree all over again. Tom Brady's going to get screwed out of another Super Bowl. And then the Seahawks decide to do the dumbest thing ever and not give Marshawn Lynch the ball at the one yard line to win the Super Bowl. Wilson throws Malcolm Butler miraculous interception. Picks off Russell Wilson. Game over. Patriots won the Super Bowl for the first time since 2004. That sequence was just incredible. Incredible. And I relive that watching those plays play out. Anytime I'm reminded of it. Like it's like it's stuff like that that 
just makes you love football so much more. The, the other play that comes to mind from State Farm Stadium is Marshawn Lynch's Beast Mode Run 2.0. He had that Beast Mode Run um, in Seattle against the New Orleans Saints that year or a few years before when the Saints made the playoffs at 7-9, and nine, became the first team to win a first team un, under the record of 500 to win a playoff game. Um, that Beast Mode 2.0 run, I remember that play very clearly. He was just, it, it was so similar to the first one, to the first Marshawn Lynch run. It, it was, it was incredible. And if it, if that play happened to be at Seattle, that probably would have been an even more crazier run than the one against New Orleans that year against the, the new against the Saints that one year when the Seahawks beat them. You know, whatever. The next play that really the next play that comes to mind from that stadium is Trevor Lawrence's touchdown run against Ohio State in last year's playoff semifinal. Before that game, I I had always we we had always known that Trevor Lawrence could move, like he could run. But we we seen him do QB draws, read options, zone um, zone reads, whatever. And you know we we never really saw him just like absolutely run down the field and run like really run. When that play happened, I was like, at the start of the play, I was like, Trevor Lawrence, he's not going to get much. He's not going to get far. I see him get up the sideline. I see him get a couple extra blocks, and I'm like, oh, this might be something. And then he's, then those blocks help him out. Lawrence is down the sideline. Next thing you know, he's scoring a touchdown, 60-something-yard touchdown. I'm like, holy cow, this is the biggest play of the game. One of the biggest plays of the year. Trevor Lawrence, right now he's considered probably the next big-time quarterback to come through the NFL draft since Andrew Luck, which he definitely is, in my opinion. And I think everyone everyone else that covers the NFL draft would agree. That run just showed that Lawrence has that extra ability, has that running ability you can count on for the next level. In the NFL, or in NFL offenses nowadays, you need a quarterback that can make plays out of the pocket and also can make plays on the ground. Trevor Lawrence can do that. He's not like that. your typical pocket passer. He can go out and just run the ball if he wants to. He can play in any offense. He, can, he is the type of player that can make your team better, no matter what the talent is around you. He is just that special. And that touchdown run against Ohio State in State Farm Stadium in that playoff semifinal was showed that, hey, he's going to do whatever it takes to help help his team win. And that's why I love Trevor Lawrence. The next play that – the final play that really has stood out to me from State Farm Stadium is DK Metcalf's rundown but at Baker. And Devin and I were talking about this when, uh, on the podcast – after that game, um, and we were like, the, the dude's 6'4", 225. He, run, he ran a 4'3'3 at the Combine in 2019. 
he has the potential to be a very special player, which he's showing right now. He's arguably one of the best receivers in the, in the league right now, in my opinion. And Metcalf, I've seen him, like, you, you would see him on tape when watching his tape. Like, you'd see him, you'd see Jordan Ta'amu, uh, he'd throw a pick, starts to go the other way. You see Metcalf just flying across the screen to try and make a play on the um, on the defender. And I'm like, my God, this dude's just flying at this size. I mean, the athleticism with this dude is insane. And then you see this happen. You see Butter Baker. You, you think he's got a pick six in hand. Next thing you know, you see a 6'4", 225 behemoth. Freak athlete just flying down the field. I'm like, holy shit, this is insane. This is insane. How the hell can you be that big and move that fast? It blows my mind every time. In my opinion, I think DK Metcalf is the closest thing we're going to have to Calvin Johnson in quite some time. You know? Like, he's not 6'5", 230, elite route runner, elite um, hands... Like elite yards after the catch type player. He's not Calvin Johnson. He's not he's definitely not. But he's the closest thing we've got since him. And just seeing Metcalf run Butter Baker down to save a touchdown, to save a pick six, was absolutely incredible. That was a great play. Um and you know, Hopkins, that Hail Mary catch just adds on to the other great memories I just mentioned from State Farm Stadium. And I'm sure, you know, you know, those are the plays that really just come to mind when I'm thinking of State Farm Stadium. And, you know, I'm probably forgetting a few other plays. And if I am, please let me know. Um, but that that stadium just tends to be a special place for big time plays. Oh, that reminds me of the one game. Uh, what was it? 2015. 2015 playoffs, 2016 playoffs. Green Bay Packers at Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals are number two seed. I think Packers are like the five or four seed. Or no, they're, yeah, are they the four or five seed? I have no idea. I don't remember. But Aaron Rodgers threw like two Hail Marys on that final drive before overtime. Threw that Hail to Jeff Janis. The first one, Jeff Janis again into somewhat of Hail Mary range to try and score. Then Rodgers hits another Hail Mary. I think it's like the second one of the year for him. And I see that. I'm like, Rodgers is just insane. Aaron Rodgers was Patrick Mahomes before we had Patrick Mahomes, you know? Like, he had incredible physical traits and tools that you just, you don't see every day. So seeing... Rodgers make those plays. It's like that's why he's so special. That's why he's going. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer. And it was like that. That 2015 season was just nuts. Besides, like Carolina going 15 and one, losing a Super Bowl, whatnot. Peyton Manning's final season, him winning a Super Bowl. Like there were so many good things happening that year, 
And I'm not trying to be biased or anything. Like, legitimately, that that was a fun year. Like, that's one of the more clear, vivid years of me watching football that I know. Because, like, I think, like, halfway through the season, there were, like, three or four, maybe five teams that were still undefeated in the NFL. Carolina ended up being the last team to go undefeated throughout most of the season up until, like, week 16 when they lost to Atlanta. So, like, that year was incredible. And there were plenty of plays in State Farm Stadium then that were pretty insane in the regular season. Um, That I'm trying to remember, and I can't really remember, other than the playoff game, um, Packers, Cardinals. Oh, the... Larry Fitzgerald catch and run in overtime in that same game. That That's another play that comes to mind. But State Farm Stadium is just a special place for great memories. That's all I got to say. And I hope we get more great memories from that stadium. And Hopkins just adds to those memories. So very – and just want to say this about the Cardinals real quick. They're legit. They are a legitimate football team. If they can get better on defense over the next year or so – this is going to be one of the better teams in the NFL for years to come because you got Kyler Murray, you got DeAndre Hopkins, you got a good backfield. I mean, you got talent on defense as long as everyone can stay healthy back there. Isaiah Simmons is starting to play well, get more snaps. I think he played more than 50% of the snaps last this past weekend. So they have the talent. They have the potential to be a very special team for, for years to come. So I'm excited about the Cardinals. Let's talk about the New England Patriots. They've won two straight, okay? They beat the Jets last week, Monday Night Football. Then on Sunday night, upset win over the Baltimore Ravens. Now the question comes up, are the Patriots a team to watch as we get closer to the end of the season? And I've been thinking about this, and I'm like, well, let's look at the schedule real quick. The of course, they lost four straight. They started 2-1. and one. Then Cam Newton got COVID-19. Um, he missed um, probably two weeks of practice. Um, he only had one game of practice before the Denver game. And after that, New England, like after the Kansas City game, after their new bye week in week five, they just went downhill. Team was just a mess. Lost to Denver eight. 18 to 12. Lost to San Francisco, 33 to 6. Lost to Buffalo. Now, here's the thing. I, I'm not going to say the Buffalo game looked good for New England. Like, they played good football against Buffalo. They almost won. Had Newton not fumbled the ball inside the 20 yard line. But they gave Buffalo a, ran, a run for their money that game. So, over the last two weeks, over the last three weeks, I would say Cam Newton's been playing some good football. He's been efficient. I mean, he's not putting up insane numbers, but he's been pretty efficient, very consistent, throwing the ball well. Um, of course, he, he, some fans would be like, oh, he's not putting up touchdown numbers and whatnot. If you if you look at the numbers he has on the ground and how many touchdowns he has on the ground, I think that outweighs how many touchdown passes he's thrown easily, like, Cam Newton's been playing well this year, in my opinion, besides throwing those seven interceptions. Um, and besides having that really not great ratio. But he's been playing good football the last few weeks. 
New England, they were up 23-10 to 10 over Baltimore at one point on Sunday night. And I was like, holy cow. New England looks like they're now starting to get going again. And that consistency is coming from the backfield of Cam Newton, Rex Burkhead, Damian Harris, James White. Damian Harris, dude. He's become their top running back. Over the last four weeks... Damian Harris has been the lead rusher for that team. Against San Francisco, led the team in rushing yards, 58 yards. Buffalo, 102 yards. New York, 71 yards. Baltimore had 121 yards. Dude has been incredible. They've, they've found their bell cow running back in terms of just, if you need someone to just run downhill for you, get some good chunk yards, Harris can do that. Jacoby Myers, he's become their top weapon. He's led the team in receiving yards the last four weeks. 60 yards against San Francisco, 58 against Buffalo, 169 against New York, 59 against Baltimore. You know, this is he's becoming their top receiver, and he probably is. And even when Edelman comes back, whenever he does, he's probably going to end up being the top receiver from here on out for years to come. Like, he is that good. He is that talented. And I just want to say, Jacoby Myers, beautiful touchdown pass. Beautiful. Former quarterback, elite stuff. Love it, my guy. Now just looking over at New England's schedule. They're at Houston next week. Against Arizona. Week 12. Then they got a road stretch of... They're at Los Angeles two weeks in a row. Against the Chargers, week 13. And against the Rams, week 14. Then... They play their divisional opponents the last three weeks. They got Miami, who's six and three, and could be six and who could be nine and three, ten and three by the time week fifteen rolls around. Like Miami is in a good spot right now with Tua. That team all all over. They're playing great football. Then they got Buffalo. Monday night football, week sixteen. That that could be interesting. If New England can win at least Gosh, if they can beat Houston, both Los Angeles teams, the Jets again, and they could, and if they can try and beat Miami, you know, I think they got a good, they got a shot, they got a shot to make the playoffs. Like, let's see, a win against Houston, five and five, a loss against Arizona. Five and six. A win against the Chargers. Six and six. A win against Los Angeles. Rams. I think that'd be seven and six. A a potential win against Miami. We'll put them at eight and six. Lost to Buffalo. Eight and seven. Nine and seven. Final record. You know, I think nine and seven would make them the seventh seed. But with... What Miami's record is right now, and the look at their schedule, I, I I don't know if New England's going to sneak in there. I think they're going to just miss out unless they win out. If New England ends up winning out, go eleven five, beat Miami, beat Buffalo. They go eleven five. They either will make it as the seventh or sixth seed, or they somehow even make the playoff. They win the division. They somehow win the division. I doubt it happens because they, they're playing some damn good football teams 
um, during this late stage of the season. But I think the division, it's still a little bit in reach, but I don't think it's... I don't think it's as far as people are saying it is. I don't think it's as impossible as people are saying. I think New England, once they start getting going on both sides of the ball, as they have been the last few weeks, if they can keep this up, they could probably run the table, in my opinion. But who knows? So, you know, are they? is New England playoff bound? That's hard to say right now because... Let's see how they are against Arizona. Let's see how they are against the Rams. Let's see how they are against a Miami team at that point in the season. Let's see how they do against Buffalo. You know, if they run the table, which a Bill Belichick ran team could easily do so, they're in the playoffs easily. No, no questions asked. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Patriots over the last seven weeks, how Cam Newton plays, how well the defense plays. Uh, what the offense will look like with Julian Edelman returning hopefully soon. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see. Let's get to Carolina and uh, Tampa Bay. Man, that, that, was, that was a rough game. As a Panthers fan, like the fact that they kept it close with a Tampa Bay team that's pissed off and coming off an embarrassing loss on Sunday Night Football against New Orleans the week before, I'm like... They're tied up at halftime. Things are going to get interesting here in the third quarter. And they got interesting, all right. More for Tampa Bay's purposes. Um, Carolina was just putrid in the third quarter. I mean, a horrible football team in the third quarter. They couldn't move the ball downfield. They couldn't play defense for much of it, for much of the third quarter and throughout the fourth quarter. And next thing you know, it's a 46-7. what was it, 23 loss to Tampa Bay? It was an embarrassing loss for Carolina. In the two games that Carolina has lost this season, or two, or of all the games that Carolina has lost this season, there, two of those losses have been by more than seven points uh, or have been more by eight points, and it's and both of those games have been against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like they have Carolina's number. They have an elite defense. They have a great offense with Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, a returning Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. Um, inconsistent backfield, but I guess you can put Ronald Jones in there. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. But Tampa Bay needed this game. After getting embarrassed on Sunday Night Football, they needed a rebound game. And this was their rebound game. And they needed it. And now Tampa Bay, if they want to win the division, they're going to have to win out. They they got to. If they want to w- win the division, they got to win out, in my opinion. They got to win at least 90% of their games from here on out. Or 75% of the games, whatever. One loss could be this. Another loss for Tampa Bay could be the deciding factor as to whether or not New Orleans or Tampa Bay wins the division. So it's going to, it's going to be interest, interesting to see. Let's talk about Carolina for a second because their their holes were exposed. Exposed, like it it was not pretty. There wasn't great blocking up front. 
for most of the game. Um, left tackle over to right guard. Taylor Moton's been the only consistent um, player on the offensive line all year long. Third quarter, like I mentioned, Carolina played horrible football. And the third quarter all year long for Carolina has been their Achilles heel. Like they just can never come out of the sec come out halftime and just play great football in the third quarter. It just always seems like they're trying to still figure things out in the third quarter. So and after that it I was really disappointed with the um with the Panthers defense. Um it it Tampa Bay really exposed that secondary like badly. Um and Brian Burns once again showed he's the best player on that defense by far. He's going to be an elite pass rusher. Someone's been keeping someone working for the Panthers has been keeping up with how many near sacks Brian Burns has had. He's been close to like eight he could have he could have like eighteen sacks at this point. He has been on a tear all year. And I guarantee you next year he's gonna start hitting home and he's probably gonna he could lead the league in sacks. Like he has that potential. He has that potential to be just a all world pass rusher in the NFL. And I think his his rise to being an incredible football player. It's kind of similar to what Von Miller's uh, was when he was coming out of Texas A&M. Like, first year, kind of slow, showed promise, um, showed a lot of flashes. Year two, he really started getting going. I think year two, I think year two that year, that was the year he got suspended. Yeah, but in those, in the games he played, in year two, in 2013, for Denver. He showed incredible talent when he was playing. Year three emerges as one of the best pass rushers in the league. Um, year four, he's arguably the best pass rusher in football. Year five, he's still up there. Like Throughout his career, Von Miller has been consistently one of the better pass, rusher, pass rushers in the NFL. I think Brian Burns is having that type of trajectory in terms of future outlook um, and future stock, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. But Brian Burns, he's improving every week. He he just got he's got to get home. He could easily have ten sacks right now. Easily. But he's just not getting home yet. So I hope he does start getting home over the next few weeks because it's kind of like, okay, let's see what Carolina's really all about for this late, late stretch of schedule. Um, I have people asking, is Phil Snow the problem on defense? And you know, I don't think he is. I don't think their defensive coordinator is a problem for Carolina. Yes, rushing three is really bad. And like, I don't like it at all. But... When you consider the talent Carolina has on defense and what Phil Snow's trying to do against the personnel um, for the opposing offenses, like for weeks, Carolina's been playing high, high-powered high offenses all season long for the most part. So we're seeing Phil... 
Bill Snow called three man rushes with seven DB seven DBs or two linebackers, five DBs, everyone dropping. Um or even one line like who knows. But it's gosh. It's kind of been it's been hard to really figure out Carolina's defense because you know they have some talent to work with, but at the same time they don't. Like Brian Burns and Derek Brown are really the only consistent players on this team. Maybe Trey Boston, maybe Jeremy Chen. Who's who's been impressive, don't get me wrong. But I think Phil Snow I don't think Phil Snow's the problem on defense. I think it's the talent on defense. The secondary is awful. They're going to definitely need to address that this upcoming offseason. And it wouldn't surprise me if Carolina went after Marshawn Lattimore, uh, Lattimore from New Orleans. Uh, he's going to be a free agent. He's going to be wanting a lot of money. And I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina gave him that money to be their starting quarterback in, in an effort to improve that secondary. And then you got... At linebacker second level, I don't have a problem with it. Shaq Thompson's been playing well as of late. Tahari Whitehead, he hasn't been that bad, but he's been a little bit inconsistent. Jeremy Chin has looked good. He's shown flashes in coverage, but I mean, he's still raw. He's still learning the game. Um, Jermaine Carter, when he's been able to play, I think he's been a better linebacker than um, Tahari Whitehead, and he should be the starter at this point. You got to see what you have in some of those players. But I think Carolina's in a win-now mode. Still, but they're three and seven. It doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. There's even a chance they might lose out the rest of the season. And looking at the Carolina schedule, um, they're at Detroit um, this upcoming weekend. They're then or they're home against Detroit. They're at Minnesota uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Then they got by. Then they're hosting Denver week fourteen. Then they're at Green Bay uh, week fifteen. Then. They're they're at Washington, week 16, Ron Rivera potential revenge game. Um, And then they host New Orleans last week of the season. So Carolina's favored against Detroit. Just looking at their schedule, maybe Denver, Detroit, Washington, those are the winnable games. But it wouldn't surprise me if Carolina lost those games, you know? Like... They, they have the offense to win football games, but their defense has been putrid. And I think if any def, if any offense needs a get-right game, they can just – if Carolina's on their schedule, they'll be licking their chops because they'll be like, ooh, all we have to worry about is Brian Burns. And that's it, really. So you look at Detroit – they have an, they have a good enough offense to really put points up on the board, but they've been inconsistent at times. But now you got a new starter and a really talented rookie running back in um, DeAndre Swift, who had a great game against Washington. He could have another big game against Carolina this weekend. I'm not going to say Carolina's going to lose the game, but there's definitely a chance they could. Minnesota has been on a roll after starting the season winless. Like they're really starting to get going, and they could make a run for the as a seventh seed in the NFC. So that could, game could be interesting. And I think Dalvin Cook ended up having a monster game against Carolina's defense. So 
Those are, I think Minnesota is probably a definite loss. I think Green Bay is definitely a loss. And I think New Orleans is definitely a loss. I think Denver, Detroit, and Washington. Those are the three winnable games I see on the schedule. If the Panthers finish 6-10, 5-11, 4-12, 3-13, they're still in that top 10 range. Top 10 pick range, you know? So... Whatever their final record is going to be, which it will probably they'll probably end up losing ten games. Either way, they're going to have a top ten pick. So, I brought this up on Twitter earlier um, Tuesday. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, and someone was asking, like, would you trade up for Trevor Lawrence? And I said no. I wouldn't trade up for Trevor Lawrence. I wouldn't give up. All those draft picks. Why? Well, Carolina has so many holes on their roster. Offensive line. And possibly that whole entire offensive line will need to get rebuilt. Because Taylor Moton's a free agent this offseason. He's going to have to get re-signed. If they don't re-sign him, fire Marty Herney. Or do so right now so that you can be a competent front office and re-sign his ass. But that's another topic for another day. If Carolina picks in the top 10, I don't think they should trade up at all. Just sit tight. You go best player available. If Patrick Satan is on the board, you take him. If Caleb Farley's on the board, you take him. Michael Parsons on the board, you take him. You, if Panay Sewell is on the board, you no doubt take him. You can also take one of the top quarterbacks on the board left, whether that's Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or Zach Wilson. And we'll get to those quarterbacks here in just a, in just a few moments. But, you know, if Carolina loses out, finish 3-13, they probably have a top five pick, more than likely. And they're in range for Justin Fields. Like, it could really... The top five can go however way it it could. Teams could trade up four quarterbacks, so that whole top five could feature teams that have traded up for, like, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or whoever. So, it's it's going to be... I think it's too early to say where... What Carolina will do... Um, in the draft because we're still we're about to enter week we're entering week eleven in the NFL. College football season, NFL season is not over yet. Senior Bowl hasn't even happened. The combine hasn't even happened. We're still months away from the draft. So it's right now it's too early to tell, but it's nice to really speculate as to what could happen if this or that happens. So a lot of what ifs, a lot of what would happen, you know, but it's going to be an interesting debate um, in the Carolina Panthers fan base for the next several months leading up to the draft. So I'm really excited to discuss this with y'all throughout um, throughout the draft process, throughout the offseason. Um, and, you know, for a team that's rebuilding, Panther fans need to stay patient. They gave Matt Rule a seven-year contract for a reason. It's not going to be a two-year rebuild. It's going to take a couple. It's not going to be a one year and then they're back in the playoffs next year in 2021. No, it's going to take a while. 
it's going to take a while for them to really find the talent on the offensive line at corner in the secondary, in the interior, have a legit pass rusher. Opposite of Brian Burns, like, and to have a legitimate quarterback besides Teddy Bridgeboard. Like, you're, it's going to take a couple more years. But, you know, if you do the right things in the offseason, who knows? Caroline could be back in the playoffs next year. We just don't know. It's so early to tell. So early, so early to tell what's going to happen in free agency and the draft, you know. All we can do is speculate. And all, that's all we could do right now. So, Panther fans, it's going to be a struggle. But like the like a lot of uh, 76ers fans used to say, trust the process. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what I'm going to do. Trust the process. A question I got asked or that's been asked around Twitter has been, is Contrast a top five quarterback prospect for the 2021 draft? Right now, I don't know. My top five quarterbacks in the draft right now are Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. In no order. No order. That's like, yeah, sure, that's an order. But like if you're going one, two, three, four, five, like that's not really my order. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I like Kyle Trask. I do. I really do. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. No doubt about it. He's the best Gators quarterback since Tim Tebow. And Trask is a Heisman contender. He could definitely win the Heisman if he continues to play at the pace he's going. And if he's able to beat Alabama and able to get his team to the national championship somehow, definitely give him the Heisman for sure. But is he a starting NFL quarterback? I don't know. I think for Trask, for what I've seen... On TV, like, I don't have the all-22 tape like some of the top draft analysts do. Like, I don't have access to the tape yet. Hopefully, I can soon here in the next few weeks or next couple months. But right now, for Trask, I think the situation needs to be perfect for him. You need good coaching around him. You need a good coach for him to be with, good coaching staff for him to be with. You need a good organization. You need good surrounding talent around him at offensive line and at the skill position, um, skill positions like running back, wide receiver, tight end, whatnot. And you can tell, like this year, Trask has been benefiting off the talent around him at Florida. Like you got Kadarius Tony, you got Kyle Pitts, you got Trayvon Grimes, you got. Trying to think off the top of my head. Jacob Copeland, maybe? I don't know. Um, you got talent. You got a good backfield with Mike Davis and um, Pierce. Trying to think of his first name. Can't think of it. You got a really solid offensive line, too. Florida's offense is the reason why they're still in the national championship hunt. Their defense is horrible. Horrible. They've made some plays, but they're not great. So... My view of Trask as a passer, he's definitely a better passer than he was a year before. But his arm talent is average, in my opinion. His mechanics and footwork, while they're still better than they were last year, they're still a little bit inconsistent. Um, he's He's been accurate. He's had some 
pretty impressive ball placement on plenty of his throws. But again, it comes back to consistency there, and I think he's been a little bit inconsistent there as well. And I think it can definitely be better. But I I think Trask plays better in rhythm, and I think any Florida Gator can agree with me on that. Like, whenever Trask gets into rhythm, which he has a lot as of late, like, he can really fall out. Uh, so it's going to be crucial for Trask going up against a destined SEC title game against Alabama. Um, that game will be crucial. Um, if they if Florida is able to beat Alabama, the playoff will be crucial to his evaluation. The Senior Bowl, which he just got and which in which he just accepted an invite to, that's going to be crucial. So the debate for who who are the top five quarterbacks in the draft outside of the four we kind of know right now, Lawrence Fields, Lance Wilson. It's going to be really interesting to see that debate play out and see who really makes their makes it makes a name for themselves throughout the rest of the season, throughout the draft process, throughout the Senior Bowl and whatnot. And the tra- Kyle Trask debate is going to be a really interesting one, and I'm excited to discuss about it. Um, I want to give a shout out to Tyler Fornis. Um, probably misspelled your last or mispronounced your last name. Sorry, buddy. Um, but big Florida fan, and I wanted to get this topic out of the way because like it's been on my mind the last couple weeks and I was like, eh, let's, let's bring this up right now. So I did. So you're welcome, Tyler. (laughs) So guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I love y'all. Please wear a mask whenever you're going out. Please. If you care about others, please wear a mask. I hope you guys stay safe. I love y'all. I'll see y'all soon. Peace.